morning. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That comes from Isaiah 40, verse 3. So I had a lot of scriptures that I could choose from this morning. And I've decided to go with the most summative grouping of scriptures about John the Baptist, which is, of course, in Mark, because Mark is the action movie gospel. Mark is, by all estimation, I, I believe he was the friend of Peter. Peter was kind of the man's man. He just did it. He didn't really spend a lot of time planning. He just went for it. Um, Mark is his friend, his disciple. Mark writes very, very summatively. If you ever want to just get a quick overview of what's in the Gospels, read Mark. It's very no-nonsense, not that any of the Gospels contain nonsense, but just very straightforward. He tells you what happened, and then he moves on. Um, and I've said this many times, John the Baptist is one of my favorite people in the Bible to read about because he's such a strange individual. He's from a priestly lineage um, because his father was a priest, Zachariah, he's a priest. So by all reality, to me, it seems like he should be a priest, yet he's functioning as a rabbi and a prophet. He's just an unusual fellow, not to mention his dress attire seems to be a little unorthodox and his diet is a little cringeworthy. But I absolutely, uh, I get excited when I read about John the Baptist because he's a little bit off of the norm. And, um, I don't know, just so inspiring. John the Baptist is uh, Jesus's cousin. How distantly, it doesn't exactly say in Scripture. But I know that Mary and Elizabeth are relatives. And when uh, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, who's too old to be having children, yet is having a child, and she is in no uh, scientific way should be having a child herself. She goes and visits her older cousin. And when Mary speaks, John leaps in Elizabeth's womb. John the Baptist was excited about Jesus before either one of them were born. John the Baptist is, he never stops being excited about Jesus. And I feel like there's so much we can learn from John the Baptist's overall attitude. Um, uh, through scripture, I have a tendency to point towards types of Christ, like people that came before Christ that foreshadow Christ. I feel like John the Baptist, well, he came to prepare a way for the Lord, but he kind of shows us what we should be doing. I think a lot of John the Baptist's attitudes are actually a, a foreshadowing of how we should be. Now, if you don't follow me there, I love you anyway, and that's okay. But when I read about John the Baptist, that's all I can think of is, why am I not this excited? One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is actually not in the reading I'm using this morning, but it's from the, the book of John. When John the Baptist sees Jesus coming. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's introducing a crowd of people who don't know Jesus to Jesus. Behold, 
Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What would be going through your mind if you got an introduction for somebody like that? It's so bizarre, so wonderfully bizarre. But I am actually going to start in Mark 1, verse 1. In the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more, more powerful than I the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So, there's a lot there. And if you look at the other Gospels, there's actually so much more there. That's really just a summative reading of who John the Baptist was. I also love that Mark doesn't start with anything except for the baptism of Jesus. It's like there's this fellow named John the Baptist. He's baptizing people. Jesus comes to be baptized. Does that kind of storytelling remind you of anyone you know? It should. We all know people that tell stories like that. They just tell you what they think you need to know, and they keep trucking. I love that John the Baptist is referred to as a messenger who comes ahead of the Messiah to prepare the way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And he goes around baptizing people. How many of you have been baptized? Okay. How many of you would like to be baptized? Because I'm going to start doing that soon. Okay. I'll get you. But John the Baptist went around baptizing people into repentance. And for the forgiveness of sins, which is kind of unheard of up to this point. Forgiveness of sins is something that happens at the temple. He's going around baptizing people who are recognizing that, yes, I am a sinner and I would like to turn from my ways. But also, he's dressed like Elijah. He's wearing an outfit made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. It's also said in the book of Luke that he'll be a Nazar Nazarene from birth. So he probably has really long hair because they don't cut their hair. And they don't go near anything dead, typically, although locusts. 
Ugh. He would have looked like a mess. A man living in the wilderness in camel hair. For those of you who have never smelled a camel in its natural environment, it's easy to do it from a distance. They stink. They're one of the worst smells I've ever encountered is camel. This man is wearing camel hair, probably has long hair, lives in a desert. You stop smelling it after a while, but for those who dwell in the desert, everyone kind of picks up this onion bagel dipped in curry smell. It's not pleasant. Now you marry that with camel. And this is the one who is making the way for Jesus. And people recognize something about this bizarre person. That he is in a position to baptize them to turn away from their sins. This is one of those things that only God can do, is choose someone who would seem not the guy to go speak for God. And that is the very person that he sends to speak for God. I've brought up uh, Billy Graham many times, and I will many more times because everybody knows who he is. Billy Graham is not an exceptional public speaker. You can argue with that, but he's not. He's not exceptionally good looking. He's not exceptionally ungood looking, right? He's a fellow. Billy Graham was used mightily of God, and I will argue anyone who says otherwise. Billy Graham was used mightily of God because he was obedient and because God chose him. It wasn't because Billy Graham was outstanding. It's because God is outstanding and he was willing to be used. And I'm not saying Billy Graham was unattractive. That's not what I mean. He just looks like a fellow and he has an accent and he isn't the guy. He's not the guy to be the cult of personality. He's really not. He was obedient and God used him. I have the same feeling about John the Baptist, though he had a much smaller audience, I'm sure, where when you read the description of him, he's not the guy you would run up to. He also ate locusts, little grasshoppery like creatures. But if you read in Leviticus, they're actually kosher. You can eat locusts in case you were holding back. You have permission to eat locusts. But he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, honey's delicious. Locusts, I'll get back to you. I had a chocolate-covered grasshopper once. That wasn't bad. It wasn't good. It tasted like chocolate. The chocolate was good, and then it crunched. But I suppose if you don't live in a place where peanuts grow, anyway, that was horrible. Another thing that John the Baptist, it says in the book of Mark, it says his message was, after me comes one more powerful than I, who the straps of his sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. When the person you're coming to for the answer says, I'm not worthy to untie that man's sandals. It could tell you that John the Baptist understands who Jesus is. John the Baptist is close to God. 
John the Baptist lives for God. That's what he does. And he recognizes that Jesus is above all of them. From before he was born, he knew this. He's also, I believe, six months older. People smarter than me that like calendars figured out that John the Baptist is six months older than him. Which would have put him outside of that pocket where Herod was killing all the babies. So he was comfortably there. One of the most interesting things that happens in Scripture, and theologians will argue about it until all of them die and figure out how silly the argument was to begin with, probably, is Jesus gets baptized. Why did Jesus get baptized? Well, Jesus says it's to fulfill all things. He says that it's proper to do so. I'm also of the mind that Jesus modeled how to live properly. So if Jesus, who was without sin, was baptized, then I, who am a sinner, need to be baptized. The one who gets to baptize the perfect man, the one who gets to baptize the Son of God is John the Baptist. That's no small thing. And I've always been looking for an instance where I can do this. But more than anything, I would love to be standing in a public forum and in context be able to yell, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's yet to happen. But something about that phrase catches right here in my chest. and It just breaks me. And I love it. John the Baptist is obedient to the point where he will tell authority that they're sinning. It is not hard to tell a guy working at the gas station that he's a sinner. That's not hard at all. Not that there were gas stations back then, but he could have went to the market and told everybody they were a sinner. The worst thing they could do is not like him. He told the king... He spoke out against the king's sin. The king was with his brother's wife. And he told him that you're sinning. And through a very, very long process with other factors involved, he ended up losing his head over that. He was obedient unto death. He was obedient to what God had called him to be. Not the Messiah the one who gets things ready for the Messiah. Jesus told a parable about how not everyone who goes out, some people go out and they plant seeds and others water the seeds. And eventually someone comes and harvests. And we use that for a, a model of, evan, of, of evangelizing. You understand that not everyone that you tell about Jesus is going to have a radical, life-changing moment. You could be planting seeds. You could be watering the seeds someone else planted. John the Baptist knew that he was not the Messiah. He knew that he was planting seeds. He was clearing the land. There is no glamour to his position in life, and he dove right in. And he was obedient. 
whereas we should all strive to be more like Jesus. Maybe we can take some cues from John the Baptist as well. Not that I've ever heard a single person in their life say, I just want to be more like John the Baptist. Well, you should probably raise your aim a little. I would like to be more like Jesus. But I see that if I need a hero for perfect obedience and not caring what anyone thinks about him, I can look at John the Baptist. Who was a willing servant. And who is exciting to read about. I realize I'm I'm fighting so hard to stay on task, but you know my brain doesn't do so well. I just want to tell you... I just want to tell you accurately what Scripture says. I want you to love Jesus. I want us to love Jesus. I want us to love each other. I want us when we read Scripture and we see each person. Now, I can call them characters because they are characters, but I want you to see these people who lived and had full lives and had parents and had brothers and cousins and the whole gambit. They're people. They're included in Scripture because they can inspire us, because we learn from them and because they show us the way to do things and how we ought not to do things. If I get to teach anything of value, aside from the sovereignty of God and salvation through Jesus Christ, it would be to love the Scriptures, to read them as though they are an account of lives, because they're an account of lives. Life upon life from cover to cover. Real people that really existed and really struggled. And they're not that far removed from us. Anyhow, if you can do so without pain, would you please stand with me? Father God, again, I thank you for the gift of your scripture. I thank you for those that are here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would continue to guide us, that you would help us to behave more and more like you. I pray that you would help us to use the encouragements found in scripture. Father God, I pray that everything would be to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And at this time, uh, we'll have announcements and prayer and sharing, which will be led by Chad Keeler.